welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hi, David. Hey, Tom. Thanks for hosting the show. And we have a very special guest today, Dr. Ian Harris from Sydney, Australia. He's an orthopedic surgeon who authored a book called Surgery, the Ultimate Placebo. I would highly recommend the book if you're a consumer. He basically systematically goes through many procedures, both in orthopedic surgery, but also other fields like cardiac surgery and headache surgery, et cetera. He really does an incredible job pointing out the things that actually do and don't work. So Dr. Harris, welcome to our show. And could you spend just a minute reviewing your background for us? Yeah, I'm a, an orthopedic surgeon um, and I've been in practice for 20, nearly 25 years. But uh, my practice, even though I'm still practicing, um, uh, my clinical practice has, has kind of given way to a more academic research practice. And now I do, uh, I do trials of surgery and, and reviews and, uh, and other kind of uh, um, uh, research into surgical outcomes and the effectiveness of surgery. Well, the last podcast, we spent some time discussing how there's so many procedures that are done that simply are not effective when they're looked at from a scientific basis. You also pointed out that doctors don't think very scientifically. They see the patient, some do better. We don't know if they would have done better anyway. And with neoarthroscopy, cardiac surgery, spine surgery, but you pointed, pointed out in a conversation before we got on the air that spine surgery is different than, say, neoarthroscopy or cardiac surgery. What's different about spine surgery in your mind? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I criticize a lot of aspects of, of surgery, but apart from spine surgery, a lot of the criticism goes to procedures that um, are probably effective in the right patients, but perhaps they're being overused or they're being used on, on too many people or people for whom it's not effective. Spine surgery is a little different because the whole concept of treating somebody with low back pain by fusing or replacing their spine um, may not be a matter of, oh, well, it does work for a lot of people, but we're just doing it too much. It may be a matter of this just doesn't work. This is just the wrong approach to be taking to someone with back pain. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's not a, a great operation that's, that's used too much. It's a bad operation that's Period. used too much. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you think you could compare it to even frontal lobotomies? Is it, do you think it's that? I mean, I, I honestly don't think it's that far off, but I can, we can talk about that for a while. But, you know, obviously... <laughs> There was a, a zealous, who is a, who is a doctor, by the way? Do you remember the doctor who was so zealous about frontal lobotomies for a while? No, I, I've forgotten the name, but uh, but yeah, he would travel uh, around the country um, showing people how to do these uh, lobotomies through the right. roof of his eye. Um, yeah, they would actually lift up the eyelid, take an ice pick, put it up into the skull, twist yeah. it around, and actually do it right there in the office. It's unbelievable. But they finally obviously showed it was ineffective. But to me, spine surgery is not too far off of that because you have a, first of all, we do know that disc degeneration is normal. We actually know that disc degeneration is not the source of pain. The only paper that hints that back surgery might be effective is done in 2001 by Dr. Frisell on Scandinavia. 
and the success rate was not very good, but they said it was better than non-operative care. Well, if you look at the non-operative care, they did nothing. I mean, it was really effective compared to non-care, but the results were dismal. They were terrible results. And then I'm not aware of any research paper since 2001 that has any hint that spine surgery is effective, that a spine fusion for back pain is an effective procedure. Are, are you aware of any papers that show otherwise? No. And, and if spine fusion for back pain were a drug that was trying to get approved uh, in Australia or anywhere else or trying to get uh, you know, insurance coverage for it or whatever, if that was a drug, it, it wouldn't get approved. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. There's no high quality evidence supporting it whatsoever. And surgeons don't appear to be very keen to generate that evidence um, because they are happy assuming that it works instead right. of proving that it works. Well, in the United States alone, spine surgery in general is about $14 billion a year industry. I don't know what percent of that is fusions for low back pain, but I suspect at least a third, maybe more. And I know around four years ago or five years ago that there's something like three or 400,000 spine fusions to be done a year for back pain. The problem that with a back fusion is that you've now damaged the spine, right? It's a big deal. Yeah, it's not a minor thing. See, yeah, I also argue about knee arthroscopy, for example, and about how it's ineffective and it shouldn't be done for a lot of conditions. But the risks of knee arthroscopy compared to the risks of a major, you know, multi-level spine fusion uh, are incomparable. You know, spine fusion is much more dangerous surgery. With a one-level or two-level spine fusion for back pain, the data showed that there's about a 15 to 20% chance of taking somebody back to the operating room within a year for some complication, whatever it is, infection, screw malplacement, whatever it is. They found out that the actual success rate at two-year follow-up for a spine fusion for back pain is around 20 to 30%. I'm one of those surgeons who's a, who came out of my fellowship aggressively doing spine fusions. We had nine times the rate of spine fusions per capita as any place in the entire country when I came out of my training, I was one of those people. Then the data came out in 1993 out of the state of Washington that the return to work rate one year after a spine fusion for back pain was 15%. And at two years, it was 22%. So I just stopped. I said, because I thought it was 90%. I mean, I felt really good about this. It was the right thing to do. And then the data came out really clearly, which I find ironic, is that we actually know very clearly that bone spurs, arthritis, disc bulges, disc degeneration are actually not the cause of back pain. And I'm assuming, and I, but I don't see any ongoing recent studies saying that we should not be doing spine surgery. Are you aware of any efforts to actually look at this in a more careful way? Um, certainly there are a lot of people saying we shouldn't do this kind of spine surgery, and, and we're probably two of those people, but, um, but there isn't the high-level research. Um, and in, it's really ironic, I guess. I don't know. It's uh, it's funny that in orthopedics now, we are starting to do some of these high-level studies uh, in shoulder surgery. Recently, there's been three placebo studies. There's been some in um, uh, uh, knee surgery. And we're starting to find out that a lot of orthopedic procedures are not effective because we're generating this high-level evidence. Now, we're not doing it in spine and they're not doing it much in other areas of surgery. And it's kind of funny because the other surgeons are looking at us going, 
uh, well, you guys are doing yourself out of business, you know, um, but I'm kind of saying to them, well, at least we know what works and what doesn't. Um, right. Do you have, are you, how much pushback are you getting from your colleagues when you give your data around the country? Do you, do you travel a lot of Aust out of Australia or mostly in Australia that you're presenting your data? No, I present all over. Um, I presented at, uh, at the Aussie Osteoarthritis Research um, Group in, in the States last year, and I presented in, in Europe and certainly all over Australia um, uh, regularly. I don't get much pushback and I don't get as much pushback as I should. Okay. And, and I think it's because largely I kind of preach to the converted. Right. And I think the kind of people that ask me along, um, you know, know what I'm going to say and they want to hear it. Um, occasionally I do get asked to uh, meetings deliberately as a, you know, to provide a, 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 an opposing view, you know, so I will get asked to spine surgeon meetings, for example, right. asked to them. and that can be interesting. And that's, I quite enjoy that. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of the, a lot of spine surgeons agree with me um, and they come to me afterwards and they say, yes, it's terrible. You know, how everybody's doing all these spine operations. And I'm, Sometimes I'm I'm kind of like, well, where are all these surgeons? You know, <laughs> right? It's not you. Who is it? You know, what What uh, do you think? So you and I both strongly agree that spine surgery not only is ineffective, it has not been it has not been compared to careful and non-operative care. We also know that you've actually damaged the spine. You've turned these beautiful layers of muscle, fascia, ligaments into a mass of scar tissue and bone and rods, which makes no sense. Then the spine breaks down above and below it. And the downside, especially the number of levels fused, gets a higher complication rate. And the results many times are just catastrophic. I have one guy start, started out with a one-level L45 fusion 30 years ago. Over the next 20 years, he had 29 surgeries in his fuse from his neck to his pelvis. That was his entire life was surgeries that started with a one-level fusion. Great guy. And just got his life completely destroyed by spine surgery. And we see this all the time. My question is, what do you think it'll take to actually change this? I mean, what, because you and I agree, there's not really one paper that says spine surgery is effective for back pain, right? And the, the, the data, the surgeons keep doing what they do. And what's going to change this? How's this going to change? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, so we can look elsewhere and we can see whether what has happened in other areas is applicable in the field of spine surgery. So for example, I can tell you that in the state where I live, uh, which has a population of about seven or eight million people, we have decreased the rate of knee arthroscopy for degenerative conditions by roughly 50%. Okay, that's a lot. 2017, practice has changed because of the generation of high level evidence the propagation of that evidence and the discussion amongst surgeons about whether this thing really works. So it's it, the, the science has cut through. Okay. Um, now, is that applicable in spine surgery? Spine surgery where you don't have this high level of evidence, you're unlikely to generate it because the surgeons aren't interested in generating this level of evidence, although that may change in the future. 
and you have probably the strongest financial incentives of every, of any um, part of surgery um, in spine surgery, um, it may take something else. So I've always been an advocate of change from within, of getting surgeons to realize what the real evidence is and to change practice themselves, not imposing practice from without. But it may take that. It may take something like um, a funder uh, or a, you know, a large government funder or a private funder to say, we're not paying for this anymore. Um, but that's whenever you do that, it's difficult. It creates a counter reaction, uh, you know, a reaction from the uh, you know, surgeons um, and it becomes you know, very bitter and, and difficult to do. Right. Um, yeah, the other thing it could, it could change is uh, if there was um, you know, something like a legal backlash. And, and I've always been you know, half jokingly saying to people that you know, all we need is for a famous person to um, uh, die or have a terrible complication from a knee arthroscopy and, uh, get, uh, you know, and sue their surgeon and then everyone will stop doing it. Right. Um, and you know, maybe it's going to take a, you know, there's going to be a tipping point where people think, hang on a minute, this is no longer worth it. Right. Um, I mean, I did take a tack, which I think is, um, it actually worked. I don't know how effective it is nationwide, but I was a consultant for Premier, which is Blue Cross of Washington for eight years. And we did write a policy. We said no fusions for back pain. And guess what? They quit paying for it. But Again, I, I want to say to the audience that there's no data to support doing a fusion for back pain, none. And I, my point, I mean, and what do you think as far as overall, I, I used to say, I think over half a spine surgery is probably unnecessary. And now, now I estimate that probably 70% of spine surgery is probably not needed. Do you, I know I'm just totally guessing here, but do you have a, any gut feeling about in the world of spine surgery, what percent probably could be avoided? Um, yeah, I think that those numbers are probably pretty close. I mean, you know, I, I could never say with any uh, great precision, but from what I see of spine surgery that is being done, I would say um, most of the spine surgery that I see done is not necessary. Um, the other problem is, and I know you've seen this down there, but I think if you're here in the United States right now, you'd just be shocked because as you know, as opposed to doing one and two level fusions for back pain, we're now doing eight level, 13 level yeah. fusions for pain. And the complication rate with the major spine fusion like that is about 60% with half of those being major. And these are really, really major complications. Not only do people not do well, they're in way worse shape than you can ever imagine after those operations are done. And it is, it just, so I'm just feeling like in this twilight zone I mean, the fairy tale of the emperor has no clothes keeps jumping into my mind. Is that we're literally yeah. pretending to offer a solution for back pain that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. So, well, I appreciate your insights. I just sometimes I think I'm losing my mind because I, I'm looking around and go, tissue generation doesn't cause pain. It is the most common reason for doing the operation. Then the the documented procedures that are effective, like better sleep, um, you know, working on behavioral modification, good physical therapy, medication management, those things have actually been documented to be effective, but they're not being delivered before they actually jump into an operation that's actually been shown not to work. But the biggest problem, like the thing you put out very succinctly, which I like the way you pointed it out, is that 
maybe some procedures are being overused. This is, this is an operation that probably shouldn't even exist as far as, as far as what's being applied for. But that's a, that, I agree, that's a very interesting point, which I hadn't really thought of it that way before. Um, I'd like to again emphasize, take a look at this book called Surgery of the Ultimate Placebo. It's very readable for a lay person. And it does give an extremely interesting feel about the history of some of the procedures in the past that now seem ridiculous. And I think maybe 20 to 50 years from now, people will look back on this era of spine surgery and just think this is insane. Do you think that's a possibility, Ian? Yeah, I think it, I think it really is. I think that in 20 or 30 years, we could look back and just think, what were these surgeons thinking? Right. You know, uh, causing harm, walking away with, with money, Right. And, and just basically, um, you know, harming people for no gain. It's, it's terrible. Well, my effort personally, I think your effort is really phenomenal. I, I, um, I've always admired people like yourself that actually just systematically go through the literature, come out with really nice data. My role is a little different is that I'm just going to the public with what is. And my book is called, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? A, surgeon's, a Spine Surgeon's Advice. And it'll be published this fall. And it, it develops a quadrant of four parts, whether you have a structural problem or not. In other words, is surgery even possible? That also takes into account whether your nervous system is fired up or not, which is also a big factor in outcomes. But the idea is to educate the public. And Dr. Harris is really educating physicians and the public both, which I think is really commendable. And it's really an excellent book, Surgery of the Ultimate Placebo in Harris of Australia. I totally recommend you take a look at that because again, these decisions are critical People think it's like taking the car into the shop to get fixed. But like he pointed out, spine surgery in general maybe should never be done for back pain. But the other problem, again, is that you're, we're causing damage to that patient when we perform an operation that isn't needed. But anyway, well, Ina, thank you very much for your time. This is a wonderful conversation, and I look, uh, I look forward to staying in touch. My pleasure. Well, Ian and David, again, thank you for a very enlightening uh, podcast. And again, uh, invite our listeners to return next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio by Dr. David Hanscom. And please remember to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.